This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Stand and Deliver! Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. My name is Rodders and, well, it's episode number 14. Hello if you're listening to the first... Well, hello to everyone, but a particular big hello. I don't know how you can differentiate sizes in hellos. That's a very radio thing to say, uh, but never mind. Uh, Particularly big hello if you're listening for the first time. My name is Rodders. I'm a comedian, and I'm also the promoter of the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. We live up above Smoking Billy's Rib House in the centre of Reading. Uh, We put on shows every second Thursday of the month and do a couple of extra special shows as well. Uh, So what's the point in this podcast? Uh, I love comedy. It's not not like a job in many respects, comedy, is it? It, it, It's like an obsession, and I just love talking comedy with other acts after and before gigs. So this podcast is basically an excuse for me to do more of that. Uh, I know a lot of you listening are either comedians yourselves... Uh, maybe you're on the way to a gig uh, hopefully the trains uh, will run smoothly and uh, there won't be too much traffic on the motorway and you'll make your spot on time uh, and maybe a lot of you are just uh, comedy aficionados today's guest is Tom Mayhew if you haven't seen him look him up particularly um, go on YouTube and search for Tom Mayhew beating the gong show at the comedy store he's an incredible act because he's very kind of downbeat and self-deprecating and very very plays very very low stakes Status. Yet, despite the fact he's very sort of oh, timid, he has this amazing command of, uh, of a room. And we talk about this um, uh, during our chat. Uh, he was, uh, quite frankly, a, a difficult guest. I interviewed him back in September when he was due to headline uh, my comedy club. And we sat down before doors opened. And he, he was, quite frankly, uncontrollable. He has Some of his comedy has this real sad, touching vein to it. And then this other side to Tom that's very sort of playful and, and well, meddlesome. He was a nuisance, quite frankly, and he kind of took control of the podcast, turned it round and fired it at me and ended up interviewing me. Um, He did a really good job because and I say that not in a patronising way, because I don't get interviewed very often. um, And if anyone invites me on a podcast, I nearly always say yes. And I'm very open to being interviewed. But there's a part of me that doesn't like it, that finds it quite stressful because I'm used to doing the, the questions because uh, I quite like to be in control of stuff. And, it, and the trouble is, the more open the question, the more my brain panics because the more options there are for it. So for every question, my brain generates about five draft answers. So it's, it's quite an exhausting experience um, uh, being interviewed for me. Uh, but he got loads out of me. Got loads out of me. He got more out of me than probably a a, a CIA interrogator could. Uh, let's please not put that to the test. Um, we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit. I'll just tell you uh, briefly what I've been up to recently. I've been gigging all over the shop, and we're not talking Debenhams. We're talking the UK comedy circuit. I got to go to Brighton to play on the Edge Comedy. Great fun at the Carolina Brunswick. Dave Fensom, the promoter, was kind enough to let me stay around his house and uh, um, he brought his corgi, Waffles, to the gig. And me and Waffles, the corgi, got on very well at the gig. But in the morning, Waffles was very confused and even quite angry that I was there, still there in the morning. That quite confused him. I don't think he's used to uh, comedians being dirty stop-outs. Um, but uh, corgis, I think they're, they're, um, I think they're born guard dogs, despite their ridiculous size. And he barked and barked and barked. Eventually Dave caught, uh, calmed him down and he then did a, a very guard dog thing he went around every single room inspecting it and making sure it was safe I mean uh, I just got th- uh, visions of the, the corgis at Buckingham Palace when that happens every time a, a head of state comes and visits the queen they go berserk and then check every single room I mean by the time they've checked every single room in that place the next dignitary must have turned up and the whole corgi cycle uh, begins again who am I kidding they've probably got a dog house in the garden uh, better than most people's houses I then spent about half a day in London because uh, I had a, a voiceover gig to do. I was I was voicing an alien for a children's radio station, um, and that was great fun. I just got to sit in a booth and put on a silly voice. And I've worked with the people there before, uh, and it, it was it was just fun. Um, I just like doing silly voices, and if somebody can uh, make that my job every now and again, I'm I'm very very grateful. And in the evening, I did a really unusual gig in Oval. It was run by Junior Booker. Now that doesn't mean he's an inexperienced um, 
promoter. It, it means he's that's his name, and he's been going for like ten years. You can look him up on YouTube. Loads of videos of him at the comedy store and all sorts of places. And this gig was absolutely mad, but in a very very good way. It started with a DJ playing like hardcore rap music. Then the DJ got on the mic and started doing all this crowd work and just started ripping into this the audience. And it, was, it wasn't like a, a function room or, or a theatre or a comedy club. It was just a, a bit of a dive bar in Oval. Um, and it was just people sort of sat everywhere, wherever they wanted. Um, and like the gig wasn't advertised at all. And when I got there, no one was there. And I thought, oh dear. But then one by one, they all arrived. So it, it was almost like a, 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 an underground secret gig. And uh, then the DJ, he was hilarious. He he was ripping into the crowd. Then he puts on some more rap music and Junior Booker strides onto stage. And then for over half an hour, I can, they did what I can only describe as like the most out of control breakfast radio show ever. And every time one of Booker's jokes landed, um, the DJ did air horns or an explosion sound effect. And the the DJ had his equipment set up on top of a grand piano. (laughs) It's brilliant. Um... But I think every uh, comedy club needs a DJ now. I mean, it was just, I've never seen that format done, but it but it totally worked. And then they brought me up onto stage uh, to hardcore rap music, uh, which was just absolutely ridiculous. And I, I just said, oh, I'm not used to having a hype man. And <laughs> the, the, the DJ took umbrage with this. In fact, I will always record my gigs. I'll play you a little snippet uh, from this now, just to give you an idea. I feel really bad I forgot the guy's name but the DJ totally got the better of me afterwards because later on he sort of picked on me and he was like oh how did you get your job on the radio was it dad's bring your son to work day (laughs) oh dearie me that was me told a really unusual fun gig but yeah if you can track down the mysterious Junior Booker go see him live at Junior Booker on Twitter right then on to our guest Tom Mayhew like I said he sort of Turned the podcast on its head and started interviewing me. Um, he got all kinds of things out of me. I ended up talking about how I actually almost quit comedy uh, because I was really hating it, having a terrible time and how I managed to start enjoying it again. Uh, and then when I finally regained control of the podcast, I asked Tom about uh, uh, commanding a room despite being a low-status character on stage, um, Tom's emotional awareness on and off stage, how he relates to people, how comedy has empowered him. Tom also talks about being a working class comic and how that has become more difficult than ever before our chat then dissolves into utter anarchy at the end with cameo appearances from comedians andy barr and nick bayard this is tom mayhew this is the stand and deliver comedy podcast we are actually at smoking billies in the top bar sitting in the front row of the comedy club we are about 20 minutes away from the doors opening and I'm sitting with tonight's headliner, Tom Mayhew. It's your third time through the hallowed uh, doors. I was about to say cat flap, but that would be demeaning. Uh, yeah. We let him through the doors this time. It's the third time through the doors of Stand and Deliver. Yeah, it's exciting. It's always a fun gig to play. It always seems to change for some reason. There's, I mean, what is that, Rogers? Tell, tell the people what what we have at the front of the gig. Well, it's going to get very boring very quickly, uh, and I'm going to tell the comedians, unless they can make a proper, genuine Lollington Bear moment out of it, I do not want it mentioned. Um, This place, for a while, was called Marilyn's Rock Cafe. It was formerly then Deja Vu. Now it's Smoking Billy's. And so a relic of Smoking Billy's past, 
a life-size statue of... I think it might actually be a bit bigger than life-size. It's Marilyn Monroe on steroids, a giant model of her, uh, with her skirts going all over the place in the most undignified manner, and it's to the stage right. And uh, I bet the audience will just look at that and I'll regret booking the comedians because just giving them a model to stare at. But yeah, we, we've got that in here. Um, but other than that... It's, it's a bit weird. It's a bit weird, mate. I don't know why you've got it there. This wasn't my... I mean, you could have just booked an MC, but you've got that instead. <laughs> well, like, I was going to move it, but try, try lift it later. It, it weighs a tonne. Um, and I've already made the bar staff put in an extra row of chairs, so I didn't fancy telling them to do any more manual labour. Hold on, can we go back? What is a Lollington Bear moment? It's, because you say this a lot to me. You go, we're going to have a pre-gig prance. That is something you, you officiated, and I thought, well, we're going to get on with this. We're going to have our own. Because basically, if you say something long enough, it becomes pop culture and vernacular. Um, and it works. Like, I've been saying, I've been, I've been calling, I've been saying, instead because you can't swear, because I, I, I work in a call centre. You can swear here if you want. I might okay. be a bit shocked. But I work in a call centre, my day job, so you yeah. can't swear. So I've just got used to saying alternative. Then my favourite one is, oh, mittens. What a mitten head. And like, nice. I, I overheard someone on my, on my desk going, oh, that caller was a proper mitten head. So if it, things can very easily slip into vernacular. Yeah. And I used to write radio ads for a part of my job. Okay. So I've got a knack of pithy f- phrases and if yeah. i if i coin a nickname uh, and i was at school if i gave someone a nickname it would stick forever ever and ever and ever that sounds like a threat more than anything well i was basically i think i was copied the, the reason i didn't get bullied that much is because i could a talk myself out of it and also i was kind of their copywriting department if they wanted a catchy jingle i'd pen it for them especially if as a teacher i didn't like because <laughs> what the bullies lacked in uh I mean, they had plenty of brawn, but they didn't really have uh, the creative skill set that I did. So they commissioned me um, uh, with, for <laughs> jingles. Wait, so you were working for the bullies? Oh, well, yeah, basically. In, in, in sort of, it was a kind of a protection racket. Okay, but let, let's go back. What is uh, a pre-gig prance? Where has this come from? I, I can't remember if it was me or you. Uh, but anyway, you're, you're implicated, because if it was me, then you agreed with it. It is... Uh, a involuntary movement, usually of the legs, to channel the excitement you get before a comedy gig. Because it's a very specific type of excitement. It's not like jumping off a high board, though you can liken it to that. It's not like... It's, it's, cross, it's cross between that and about to do an exam, I think, sometimes. There's a bit of dread. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of excitement. Sometimes I just feel sick. Yep. So uh, the, if you make kind of a cliché, piffy phrase about it... You're not taking it seriously. It's using humour as a defence mechanism, isn't it? Yeah, if you yeah. trivialise how nervous and sick you feel, then maybe you won't feel... If I, if I concentrate on the pre-gig prance, maybe I won't feel so bad. Yeah, I, I think I get, I get what you mean. Like, I, I'm always so nervous before gigs, I'm always just walking around everywhere. Like, I did a gig at the, the Manchester Comedy Store. It was and you the, walked to Birmingham in the interval. <laughs> I did, yeah. It was really, really not helpful. Like, where's he gone? He's always gone to Birmingham, for God's sake. But yeah, I was just walking around and I kept getting in people's way because it was quite busy backstage. And I was like, oh, sorry, I'm just, I'm just walking. And they were like, oh, where are you walking? I was like, I'm, I'm just walking because I need to walk somewhere. Your rider should be a treadmill or they could power the bar off you, couldn't they? Put you in a little wheel. I mean, I, yeah, if, if people in future, and I'm, I'm annoyed you've not done this, Rodgers, why is there not a hamster wheel I can just walk on? No, it was hard enough bringing your other demand, which is a giant Marilyn Monroe statue up the blooming stairs. We didn't have time for the treadmill, it's still in the box. That's, that's fair enough. Have you ever done it, though, when you, um, when you do competition gigs, so you're, like, even more nervous, and you're walking around even more? I t- yeah, I've tried not to take those so seriously, and I've enjoyed it as a result. I did the uh, the last competition I did was the Heat of the Amused Moose one, and Danny Lordrit was emceeing, and that helped because he's really nice. I yeah, discovered, he's lovely. He's lovely. Uh, and I went there and thought, well, I've done as much as I can. I'd gig loads in the lead up. If I don't get through, like obviously I want to get through, but my aim was just to have a good gig. Other than that, I had I just had a. Re- I've, it's weird. I, I used to get. I nearly quit in 2015 because I was putting myself under too much pressure and I had all these blooming goals and we'll do this and a five year plan. Now I have no ambitions, no goals whatsoever, and I'm getting better gigs. I'm doing better, and I'm just enjoying it because it's not community service, is it? Because I hear a lot of acts moaning, and I just think, oh, well, just quit. Go take up golf. Go do something you, you might enjoy. Do you know what I mean? But. Like, hold on, so you almost quit, and then, because you put no pressure on yourself, you, you're doing better. Well, it's not so no you, pressure, you, it's more... You're trying much less, and you're far more successful. No, I'm, I'm radically short-termist. My go- I do have goals, and there is pressure. Like, I don't want to screw up. I don't want to go out there and 
like it is disrespectful to not prepare and then the gig go wrong and you die. It's just rude to the audience, isn't it? I mean, if it goes wrong, it goes yeah. wrong, and I'm not gonna. I, I just don't. I have very my my goals is like I have a I have a gig tomorrow. I'm being I've been hired to support a burlesque troupe, which is a very strange booking. Have so, you? Yeah, I'm doing Why? a cabaret in Aldermaston. You? Yeah. Are you going to be dressed up? I, well, I don't know. I've lost my nipple tassel, so I guess not. Uh, but no, wow. I, no, I, I'm okay. just I've just been hired to do a set. Because usually you do. I mean, if anyone hasn't seen Rodders, usually he does his usual stand-up with nipple tassels on, just topless. It's very, very, very weird to watch. Well, how would you know if I did it top full, as in wearing a top? You wouldn't see him. It'd be a waste. <laughs> that's very true it's very um uh, that would be uh like philosophical if it wasn't complete bollocks i know but that was my degree wasn't it <laughs> philosophy uh we, we we missed the nipple the nipple tassel module no but my so my goal is just do as well as i can under those conditions because it's probably not ideal stand-up conditions but like yeah yeah i'm you know it's it's it can go on my resume as paid work and i can yeah. I, i'll do as good a job as i possibly can under those conditions but if it all goes wrong i'll acknowledge i'll listen back to the recording i think oh well what can i do next time but i'm not going to beat myself up my attitude now is oh well you've you've done a you've you haven't done brilliantly at something that's bloody hard and so i'm my my, so i put myself under pressure but there's a line there's no point beating myself up but i've still got to be acknowledge when i'm doing it wrong but what is beating yourself up on stage is what you had to do for the audience to have a nice time. What if that's what they paid for and that's what they wanted? Oh, that's different. I'm an absolute whore when it comes to that kind of thing. I will staple my nose to the ceiling. No, of course not. I mean, no. I would pay good money to see you Of course your you could, because you're ceiling. a bitter, twisted man. Can that be your Edinburgh show? Just at the end, you just staple your nose to the ceiling? <laughs> well, it would be easier than finding a punchline to some of the bits I've produced at the moment. And everyone goes, oh, what does it mean? What's the deep meaning? And it's like, there's no meaning. He's just had an absolute breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a long queue for therapists. Um, <laughs> no, but there's um, oh uh, oh god, what was I going to say? This is why I don't like being asked questions because my brain will generate five responses and they'll all fight for my mouth. And now they've all gone. Oh no, after you. Uh, what were we on about? Um, um, Do you know what I've never done, Rodders? I've never recorded a podcast with a video game character, which is what I'm doing right now because you're in a video game. I am. Yeah, I am. Uh, Tom, is it yeah, Tom in Beast Quest, the newest... Beast Quest. Yeah. You are a lead character in Beast Quest. I want you to do a Let's Play of it, because it would be you commentating on you playing the video game as yourself. Do you have a console um, and a means of doing it? Because I don't own a console. Um, is it on PC? I, I think, yeah, it is You're on the PC. One who's in it. It, it, it is on PC, but I don't play computer games, and I didn't want to take my fee and spend it on a, uh, a PlayStation 4 for the sake of vanity. Well, I think you should. I think it, if, if I was you, which I'm not, but what, what a thought that is. It's too late. I spent the, the money on a Marilyn Monroe statue to keep you amused. That's, that's a fair point. I mean, in terms of being the video game character, who would win in a fight between you and Super Mario? Um, I think I would reach a peaceful resolution through diplomacy and people skills. Does that mean he'd batter you? No, we'd, we'd neither would be battered. We would come to some sort of resolution. Are you going to make any more Rodders video games? Can I play... It's not up to me. Like, if someone wants to pay me to sit in a booth and put in a voice, then yes, absolutely. So I want, I want you to, to go on your computer and make an actual Rodders video game where... I don't have the talent for that. I can't no, make we, a game. I want to make it. I want to be Rodders. I want to book the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. I want to prance around worrying about ticket sales. I want to see... <laughs> You're making a mockery of my life. <laughs> no, I'm not. I want to book the MC and, and come do the night and work on the sound desk. I want do, to... Do you want to do that? You can do that anyway. No, I want it as a video game where I can be Rodders. Ro- Rodders Simulator. I want, well, yeah, well, Rodders I want, Simulator. Uh, well, I came up with a game for you because your, your comedy is quite downbeat. Uh, so I thought, what could be better than Tom Mayhew Puddle Simulator in which like, you control Tom Mayhew walking into puddles and you get more and more plaintive and desperate the more puddles you walk into until eventually, um, I guess, you drown or dissolve. I mean, if anyone wants to make that, I'm still waiting for someone to make it, because it would be the best video game ever. Yeah, come on, nerds, get on with it. I haven't got friends to see. Code it, damn it. Um, right, so that's our, that's our homework for this episode. We want Rodgers the video game and 
Tom Mayhew paddle simulator. I would go back full circle. Like my goal with comedy, it's very short termist, and I'm much happier as a result. Yeah, and yeah. comedy should make my life better, not worse. Because if I, I mean, not every gig's going to be enjoyable, and I'm and I'm I'm tired because I've been gigging too much recently. But yeah. like, if on aggregate it makes me, my life better, then I'll keep going. Yeah, if it course, makes yeah. my life worse on aggregate, then I'd be an idiot to keep doing it. I, I could I can do something because you're you're someone that does comedy. We aren't comedians i'd look at it like that like it's just a symptom of, of me like if i stopped doing comedy i'd still be me yeah i'd still be amusing i'd still do other in creative things maybe i'd write a book maybe you know i think that's the thing you you want to like a lot of people want to um do comedy for a living but at the same time i think lots of people want to do that but you want to make sure it doesn't feel like a job that you hate you want it to still, you know, it is a job, you have to take it seriously, but you want it still to be enjoyable. You you don't want to go, oh, I've got to do this for 50 quid. You want to be like, I, I always want to keep that in my heart, just being like, God, I'm doing this for 50 quid. That's amazing. I want to always have that excitement because I think if you lose that, I think that's the downhill, the downhill slope where eventually you become bitter and angry. Yeah, because there's enough bitter people on that. Because I, I won't name you the comic, but I had an awful month. I went. I was in May. I was stuck doing jury service on a murder trial, and the only, honestly, the only thing that kept me together was gigging at night. Because I got on stage, and I that was my only release from it. Because you can't talk about it, and it's driving me nuts. Got on stage, didn't matter, and I was like, well, thank goodness for comedy. Because I, I thought it would do one thing. I thought it'd either push me over the edge or make me better, and it helped. And there was a comedian moaning about how he used to get all these paid gigs, emceeing. And I turned around. I felt like saying, "Look, shut up and quit, mate." I'm, I've had a. I've been in a murder trial all day, and this is the only thing that's making me happy. Shut up and tell some knock knock jokes, whatever you do. I, I wish you would have heckled that. That would have been hilarious. I had to leave. I had to walk out of the room. Was he a dickhead? It's like moan, 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 moan. And there was no point me having a go at him and had saying what I wanted to say. Because then, like, I would have had to have gone on after him. It would have soured the mood. The best thing was me to remove myself from the room, come back just before I was you on stage. I went on stage. I threw a condiment in the bin. I had a great time. I had a really good set, and it was lovely. Why did you throw a condiment in the bin? That sounds very decadent. Uh, because it was in a breakfast room of a hotel, and it had been half laid up for breakfast. And um, I chucked the condiment in a pedal bin because it was on stage and just because I could. And the audience were visit. They were in their 40s and 50s, and they were quite shocked. And I said, come on, guys, you live through the young ones. They used to destroy whole houses. You're shocked at that. And then eventually, because they, they, they gave them a point of reference... Yeah, yeah. they liked it and they laughed and in the end I promised to make good and I closed my set by taking all the litter and filth out of the bin rescuing the ketchup and shouting I have atoned for my sins and I put the ketchup back on the table and left the stage and I think I said to the promoter it's a good job you didn't give me a 20 or everything would have been in that bin <laughs> is, is this part of the show where you have a breakdown at the end? Oh, it wasn't a breakdown. I just had a little bit Are of... Are you sure uh, it wasn't, Rod? It's, it's, it sounds very... Um... Well, what's a breakdown? It could be a hug. You can have a series of... They don't have to be cataclysmic. It could be all in little episodes, couldn't it? It doesn't have to... Why, why, why shoot your load? Why not break down every series? A car doesn't break down immediately. There'll be symptoms all along the motorway. You're not a car, Rodders. No, but I've I'm... I've told I'm you in before, an... <laughs> you're not a car. I've told you many times. <laughs> Rodders keeps going outside, running on the road. Going beep beep, it's like no rodders, no. They've accepted me as one of their own. Uh, but that's uh, what they tell you because they find it funny. I'm trying to. Rem- I was trying to remember the first time I saw you perform, and I, I'm racking my brains and I can't. But the first time I became aware of you is when you won the Gong Show, and that video got ludicrous amounts of views. Yeah, it's got and like it's so weird. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant video because you're very much anti Gong Show. You're the. It's like. It's the most unexpected, and that's what's so wonderful about it. They didn't expect you to do anywhere near as well, and you can, and it's amazing the way you turned them round because, like, you're you're a very quiet person, like off stage, yeah, and like so, and comedy is this big razzmatazz, or can be this big testosterone fueled, ridiculous. A lot of comedians are larger than life. I'm bloody ridiculous. You I, are, like, yeah. On stage, off stage, yeah. there's a a lot of silliness, and I'm, I can never be accused of being quiet, but. So what what pushed you into doing comedy? Because it seems like, just from a, a casual glance, you seem to be the opposite to what comedy is, especially on TV. I mean, that's an amazing quote. I'm the opposite <laughs> to what comedy is. Great, come see me headlining this gig. The opposite to comedy. Um, I guess when I was younger, all sort of the the popular kids all liked music, but I never really uh, wanted to go see music gigs because they were too busy and it scared me. 
So I thought comedy that seems that seems uh, interesting because I sort of saw comedians on TV and they were sort of uh, they would you know put themselves down. They were sort of not really confident. They weren't really uh, sexy or attractive. So I kind of um, I felt like oh these people are a bit like me. These were the losers at school that never had any friends who were quiet and you know they didn't really fit in. They didn't go out. They didn't party. But they just. Uh, were intelligent and they worked on as you said earlier about using your intelligence as a uh, defense mechanism is that kind of thing that is that's kind of what i did at school i would act act sort of try and make people laugh if they were picking on me to try and diffuse the situation mm. even if it was just absurd like they'd be going oh you're a fucking dick and i'm gonna beat you up i'd be like oh you know so oh i'm wearing yellow pants today or something you know ridiculous and they just go what the fuck? and it would just be so silly that they'd go oh, right, disarming right. non-sequitur yeah, cause, like, they can't smack you after you've said something fucking ridiculous no i mean even the uh, hardest of bullies has a penchant for surrealism we find so there's the comedians you were seeing they weren't these big larger than life goliaths that i was referring to then the ones you found oh not really i i, I not all of them anyway i liked people who were a bit more um Sort of, I mean, they all were kind of, you know, they, they weren't ever the, the energetic, shouty people. I, I liked people like John Richardson. He was mm. very sort of thoughtful and sort of analytical, and he he didn't come on stage and go, eh, "I'm fucking brilliant." He kind of was, especially in when he was when he was on the rise up. He was almost sort of apologetic, like he'd he'd say he'd say like hello, and he'd go, "Yeah, my voice is ridiculous. Sorry about that." He would sort of go, you know, oh, "This is me. Sorry." And it was sort of nice to see that. It was sort of very um, humble and uh, endearing. And I kind of felt, oh, these people are a bit like me because, you know, they. I, I've never wanted to go on stage and go, hey, look at me. I'm just like, yeah, this is me. Here's some, here's some jokes. I hope you don't hate me. So I guess they have their real power comes not from being... Well, I guess they are larger than life in the sense that they are themselves to an enormous degree and they're very kind of self-aware... Because I find it quite hard to describe your act to other people. I just say, well, it's very, very self-deprecating. Some of it's quite downbeat, but it's blooming hilarious. And Aww. also, you kind, you kind of break all the rules. You don't make eye contact a lot of the time. Yeah. But at the same time, because you line all those things up and you think, well, that's a bit risky. Why, 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 would you, why would you see that? But at the same time, you do have this amazing command of an audience. And I don't know what came... Did you learn that on top of because the the material on its own yeah. really funny but then i think the way you've done the performance is really interesting because it breaks a lot of the rules it's very very downbeat but at the same time low status you're very low status is what i'm trying to say on stage yeah. but at the same time you're in control of what hap- what's happening in the room how did that kind of come about uh just sort of I- i've always been very um uh, like incredibly self-aware. I think that's where a lot of um, like self-esteem issues and insecurity sort of comes from. Like I've always been very self-aware of who I am, of how I look, of how I sound, of my position in society, of how other people view me, of what people might be thinking if I say X, Y, Z. But I'm also sort of very self-aware of what's going on around me. So I, I'd always be very aware of everyone else in the room and sort of even though um, I might just be doing sort of talking about my own set, I would be aware of... Uh, the person in the back row who two minutes ago whispered to their friends and then if they do it again I'll be like oh you're doing that again just because I'm I'm always I think in any any social situation I'm in I'm always I always try and be aware of everyone around me like if I'm in a at a, a gathering I will always try and look for someone who's a bit uncomfortable and hasn't got anyone to talk to and I'll go talk to them because mm. I think that that would definitely have been me 10 years ago and still would be me now in certain situations but i don't want everyone anyone to feel alone or feel like there's no one talking to them or feel like they don't fit in so i always make sure i'm very aware of everyone everywhere which is exhausting but i try and always put other people first because i think that's how that's how you make the world better for people do you find since you, did you have you found doing comedy empowering? Have you kind of because I I've kind, I kind of like it. I've got even if I I meet people I won't certainly won't tell them straight away that I'm a comedian. But the fact that I can do this and the fact that I've done this and I've done some ludicrous things that a lot of people just like no one gets the chance to like 
do a gig in a pub where there's a fight but i've got all these silly gig stories yeah, yeah. that we just think are run of the mill and if i told them to you you'd be bored by them but to people who aren't in this world it's a crazy adventure and the fact that i've done these things yeah. gives me this sort of quiet confidence because i kind of and i've learned a lot about myself from doing comedy have you felt the same way do, does it kind of like pep you up a bit the fact that you've done it for so long yeah it's, it's sort of really nice because it's, it's what i've kind of wanting to do since I was about 12 or 13 so to to look back now and, and this month uh, September when we record this it's like the four-year anniversary of me sort of gigging regularly so it's sort of really nice to be like wow I've done this number of gigs and it's really sort of exciting because um, it's like that's what I always wanted to be doing obviously you kind of dream of uh, even bigger gigs and even more money but, but that's that's the end goal and and you know when you're when you're feeling level-headed it's like no what you want to be doing is doing comedy that people enjoy and i feel like if you're doing that then that's all you sort of want to do you you know the money and stuff it's it doesn't really matter i don't really like it would be lovely and nice and wonderful but at the same time just doing it is if you really love it i think that's enough there's far easier ways to make a hell of a lot more money than doing comedy so you've got to enjoy it and you've got to enjoy the journey because you might not reach the end of it if your goal is live at the apollo or nothing then like you might be in for a huge disappointment. And if you don't enjoy the route along the way, then what's, what's the point? When you're on the motorway, appreciate the service stations. Yeah, that's, that's, Rodders's, that's Rodders's big tip for everyone. Appreciate the service stations. Because if you don't enjoy comedy, then because it, it's so difficult to make any money, and like it's a lot of late nights, there's a lot of travelling around on your own. So the, if the payoff isn't financial, then it's got to be just enjoyment. And I, I like your attitude towards towards comedy because like people say to me oh do you want to do this do you want to do that I said well I just want to do comedy and us before the like you wouldn't turn down a massive opportunity if someone said Tom come on never mind the buzzcocks we're bringing it back you wouldn't say no but at the same time I think you're enjoying just doing comedy yeah well I I sort of I've always loved seeing comedy live Um, that's where I think the best comedy is and that's sort of the comedy I want to do I don't really care about um, you know, some people, they always go, oh, I want to get on TV, I want to do this, I want to do that. But I don't really, they're not the end goal for me. I'd rather someone go, oh, I saw Tom's Hour show and it was amazing, than someone go, I saw you in Mock the Week. I, I think it's much nicer if they've seen you do something that's, you know, I think it's like music. I think musicians, they record an album, but what they really want, most of them is people to be there during the concerts that's when it's exciting that's where it's fun when it feels like that's when it's the energy whereas people who listen at home there's more of them but it's never the same it never you never capture that spirit i think yeah and i think comedy is similar really i don't really i'm not too bothered about doing panel shows and stuff partly because i'd probably be not very good at them um because you have to sort of be very loud and very boisterous and very, look at me, I'm the most funny one in the room. I'm, I want to be polite. I want to go, no, it's your turn now. It's not comedy, is it, really? I mean, comedy for me is like, it's this. We've got 60 seats. We're going to cram it. People are going to get up, and my brief will be to the acts. You've got 10 minutes. I trust you. Do what you want. Go mad. Be creative. Be funny. Have a lovely time. They will too. And that's it. You don't need all these gimmicks. Yeah, I'm yeah. very, very, uh, like perplexed by roast battles and lip sync thingamabobs i mean yeah I take all the furniture out of the room and give the comedians some space to to prance do you know what i mean like it just seems like you've, there are some amazing acts out there so why put a flashy desk in front of them and make them do a panel show just let them tell some damn jokes i think that's 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 that's, that's yeah that's absolutely perfect i think mate you've I think you've hit the, the nail on the... Uh, the well, I am available for a uh, uh, lip-sync battle. <laughs> oh, that's the thing, yeah. You kind of say that, and it's like, no... I, no, I don't know. I, I was trying to think, because I've had a rant about roast battles. I think if someone asked me, I think I'd just say, no, I don't want to be rude to people. I've spent a long time trying to be nicer. And, like, I don't see, really... Obviously, if it's two people no one's ever heard of, what's the point? Like, if you see two famous comics go at it on TV, then yeah, great. I'd want to. I'd only want to do it if I could subvert it and sort of, you, you know, I think doing it and just going, I'm going to insult each other, it feels too easy. It, it feels like... Yeah, I mean, I know. can be very rude when I want to be, but what's the point? Do you know what I mean? It's you, I, I've seen clips of it when it's just like, oh, a white comedian goes to his mate, you're Asian, that's a joke. And then the Asian guy goes to his mate, you're posh, and that's a joke. And it's like, this is so just basic I'd, I'd say stuff like oh tedious. mate I, I bet your attics are state 
and your CDs are unalphabetized. I do actually. You know what I did do? The last gimmick night I was involved in, it was a de- comedy debate night where you had you were given a topic yeah. and you had to uh, um, <laughs> and you had to just ad lib a debate. You were this you. I think it was my my debate okay. was I think it was spontaneous fun versus planned fun and I had to argue one side and I turned is that, it's debatable is that yes it is in Oxford and I turned well is that the, Sarah Mann who does she organise that or she no it's it uh, like? Matthew who runs uh, Qued Comedy Labs um, okay. but he I I had two debates the first one at the end I did a soliloquy I, I uh, addressed the audience as the jury Matt as my lord and accused my opponent of murder and the second one I just tore into the guy and had a massive go at him and just was very rude and then halfway through stopped and said oh sorry i thought i forgot it wasn't a roast battle and then did an argument in quite a sensible droll way uh, but that that was fun i could see more point in that and it fits oxford's vibe but i really i, I probably would say no thanks to a roast battle um but yeah so so you have found comedy kind of has empowered you outside of comedy I think so. I think it, it makes you a bit more confident because you. I think you meet lots of people who are very like-minded, who tri- who are sort of like, no, you're fine. You're not. You're not alone. You're sort of because you're quite tough in a very weird, understated, quiet way. Because I've seen you put down heckles, and I've seen you deal with some very personal stuff on stage in a very humorous and not self-indulgent way. So there's got to be something in there that comedy's woken up in you. Yeah, um, I, I think comedy. It's kind of. Um, it's given me the, the strength and the confidence to stand up for myself a bit because you kind of have to on stage because, you know, off stage, if someone says something to me uh, five years ago, I would just probably go, yeah, right, just walk, walk away and, and take it in and be upset. But on stage, you have to respond and, you know, put them down or make it funny. And it sort of makes you... It gives you the belief you can do it off stage as well. It sort of makes you... Um, go actually no i put down that heckler two weeks ago so um now i can put this person down i think it's i think well running the comedy club in tandem with doing more comedy i think has given me i've never been shy with people but this has given me a much more because like now i do customer service all the time doing stand-up is customer service to a degree running a comedy club definitely is and being in a call center definitely is so i'm doing and it's kind of just I'm much better at handling, hopefully, height-like pressured situations with people and things as a result. And I don't think I would have got my current job if it wasn't for running this comedy club because I could confidently say I've got some people skills now. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's weird how it works. Now, so if you want to work in a call centre, do comedy. I mean, that I sounds more depressing than that's, it. That's the career path we're all working towards. Well, I, I love my job. You it's nice. comedy for five years and work in a call centre. Like Rob Gilbert did a show called Work Experience. Let's do... Oh, that's fantastic. Bring, your, bring your Tom Mayhew to work. <laughs> <laughs> you can, yeah, I would honestly love to have you at my job. It'd be great because I'd have someone to do satirical commentary with on just the day's events. If anyone wants to hire me, I am looking for money anywhere I can make it. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if we give you a guinea, will you dispose of that giant Marilyn Monroe? Yes, I will. Absolutely. <laughs> they even take outdated currency. This sort of is a terrible segue into your chortle article. I read that um, on the bus today, um, and uh, well, it's well, you, you can explain, really, isn't it? Because you, you, after having this. I, I, sh- I saw your last Edinburgh show because you performed it here. In fact, you did a preview here mm-hmm. and you've been on this amazing sort of rise at the moment. Great yeah. reviews, all this lot being like, f- you're funnier than I've ever seen you. And then all of a sudden, you tell everyone you're not going to Edinburgh. And the reason it's all fi- financial, isn't it? And the, yeah, the yeah. article basically said you need a hell of a lot of money to get to Edinburgh and to do Edinburgh. And I think comedians know that, but I don't think the public were aware of that. No, well, I think everyone. You know, comedians know that, but if if even uh, middle-class comedians moan about it a lot, then when you're, you're working-class like myself, it was very difficult. Like, I, 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 you know, everyone loses money in Edinburgh, but my Edinburgh show, uh, not only did I lose money, but it meant I was in debt, and I had no means of sort of paying it off. I was very lucky that uh, uh, someone close to me stepped in and helped me pay it off, otherwise I would have not been able to pay it off. And it meant I couldn't do a show last year because it was, it was too expensive. See, I don't want to do it a month purely for that reason. It's that thing where it's, it, it's, it feels worth it in terms of the experience, but I think unless you have uh, an agent or you have a lot of money yourself, it's very, very difficult to actually be able to afford it and not come away having lost 
a lot of money and your spirit. So when you to define your terms, working class, are you saying family, no inherited money? Is that what you're saying? Or is it purely an income-based thing? But both. Both. Both, yeah. No, no inherited money. Uh, when I went to university, I had the, the biggest available possible grants that there were because of our income. Uh, we don't own our own house. We live in a council house. Um, yeah, like, like, like there was often... Yeah, we're sort of the type of family where if... Um, someone scraped our car and it cost one hundred and fifty pounds. Like that would be really stressful. We can't we can't just pull that money out of our asses. We, you know, it'd be like, oh shit, how are we going to find that money? Andy, Hello. Andy Barr has turned up. Time Andy at Barr. the bar. Uh, Andy Barr. And, and Andy's our opener this evening. Hello, don't worry, mate. Podcast, it's all good. Andy Barr. We're doing a podcast. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll pull you in in a, in a second. But, um... I was just talking about being poor, and Andy's <laughs> coming wearing a nice suit and a tie. So, um... Cost uh, £60. There we go. 60 of your English pounds. How much did your shoes cost you? Uh, they're about 40 quid, I think. But um, they're fucked, and I've had them for about three years. There we go. It's a man getting the most out of his money. Exactly. Andy Barr is nothing but expedient when it comes to footwear. So do you think there's a... Is there a, a, a fix to this because you're, you're basically saying people are being blocked from doing comedy not because of talent because of finance is there is it just that the whole comedy industry is kind of falling apart money-wise that must be part of it or is i don't or is it just part of a bigger problem and comedy is just a, a symptom of it i think it's just part of a bigger problem i think yeah the more well, the less money you have the less opportunities you have because um, like everyone sort of says about how edinburgh is very expensive but it's not just edinburgh it's all the the festivals in the lead up, it's it's wanting to do Brighton Festival, it's wanting to do Leicester Festival, it's wanting to do uh, the Great Yorkshire Fringe. You know, it's most people. If you know, I know lots of people who they take their debut hour up and they would spend about fifteen grand on it. See, I I only did a week because that's what I could afford, and I just wrote it off as a very expensive holiday. And I could I could like I think that's the only, that, <laughs> unless you're minted. I think that's the only way to kind of do it. And even then, I feel quite privilege that i got a nice job that i can do take a week off and do that but i can't imagine doing uh, is it would be very foolish of me to do a month because i don't know how I'd, I'd probably have to quit my job and then would i get another one i mean it just seems ludicrous i mean yeah. uh, i remember listening to i told you about this earlier but i'm gonna, gonna reiterate it i listened to a a podcast with kate copstick and there was a panel discussion about the edinburgh and the cost of it was brought up and she said oh it's easy just uh, um Hire out your London flat. So there you go, yeah. Tom. Uh, go to Edinburgh, just hire out your flat, mate. What are you doing? I mean, uh, um, yeah, if only I'd remembered that I owned that flat. Um, you know, yeah, you know, I get where she's coming from, because I think there are lots of comedians who do live in London who moan that they have no money, and it's like, well, you live in London, so you've got enough money to be able so to... May, maybe I've taken it unfairly out of context, but just, just to... No, no, I, think I of it think, like that no, makes I you think, just think. No, yeah, I, but I see the point because there are, you know, there's lots of people, not just comedians, who live in London. They moan they've got no money. I think it would you be live in London. Just live in Watford or something. You'll probably be slightly better off. I don't know. Yeah, but then you'd live in Watford. Talk to Andy a bit. I, I will. I'm going to pop to the loo. You mm. do a bit of Andy. That's absolutely fine. Oh, Andy Bar. Uh, well, I haven't actually seen you for ages. I saw you well briefly at about 11 p.m. in a bar in Edinburgh. And I didn't even I didn't even get to see your show or anything. Oh, so like you saw, you saw bar in a bar. Yes. Just came in right, you're fired, Tom. Get out. Play which you've definitely not heard before. It's it's, it's completely. Mad. That was worth the extra three steps in his Fitbit, which he doesn't own. Um, Rented, is it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> the government gave it to him. Um, so uh, I haven't seen you for ages. What are you doing, comedy-wise? Because the last time I saw you properly perform you're doing a, a show where you pretended to be a robot you were doing a lot of surrealist stuff with phil jarvis um so how's your style evolved since then well, if that isn't too broad a question the the thing where i was pretending to be a robot would have been in 2000 either 2014 or 2015 when i was doing a kind of split bill in edinburgh with uh, nathan wilcock um since then, I've done uh, two uh, Edinburgh hours and a bit of stuff with uh, Consignia. If you're aware of Consignia, the, the premier 
um, Dardarist surrealist Dardarist. nightmare with Sean Morley. Dreamwave. <laughs> uh, well, it's either Dreamwave or Shitwave. That's the, we've we've yet to arrive at the, uh, the the correct terminology for the for the group. So yeah, I've just been doing shows. Um, I've just come out of doing the fringe this year and I'm largely bereft of ideas and, so uh, well that is wonderful you're opening the club with zero ideas I'm looking forward to I'm your op- set am I opening? you are oh sweet we've been yeah, waiting yeah, for yeah. you for ages oh, super <laughs> yeah no glad, glad to glad so to it, yeah. is it strange coming from doing your hour long show where you could build a bit of a narrative it looked like a dystopian theme thing and is it now a bit of a an adjustment to have to go back to doing like you're doing 10 minutes tonight because how do you you've got this way of doing things how do you still bring that across in your 10 minute spots well i've got a bit of a problem so the last two years i've written um kind of quite conceptual shows that that it hasn't really been possible to kind of cull any of the bits from for like club sets and stuff so i've just been relying on the stuff that i had beforehand kind of tuning that up at the the club sets that i end up doing so basically none of the last two hours have been performed live outside of the context of themselves which is um, which is annoying in a way because it's kind of like it's coming out and starting from scratch and there's there's nothing. So you're having to write club sets again, kind of thing. Well, I just use the use the tired old shit I've been uh, peddling before. Excellent, uh, Tom. We're talking about Tom's comeback from the loo. Um, I won't ask you how it was because I'm not interested. Um, oh. <laughs> though what we're talking about now, well, now, well, you know, get on with it. <laughs> Everyone at home was wondering how it was. All right, now, shouting I, in, on the bus. How was the way? Did, did you? No, I, no. Wee, hang on, hang on. I will ask you one question on this before we get it, back on it topic. Was a wee. We've established one thing. Did you use the hand soap? Uh, Good. Uh, what other kind of soap is there? Uh, there's foot soap available. It's a high class establishment. Now, what we're talking what about? Is wrong we're, with we're, <laughs> what is right with Reading? What is wrong with Reading? You've come in and turned it upside down. I like Reading, but I don't know why there's foot soap and. Do you understand this? No, in case you get, get your feet dirty yeah. whilst doing your pre-gig prance. But before you came in and, and like took us on a surreal tangent, Andy and I were talking about how you go from doing hour-long Edinburgh shows back to then doing club sets. Are you able, because Andy said he's not able to take his club sets out, of, his, uh, ed, his, like, pieces of his hour shows out of context and put them back into uh, 10s and 20s. Whereas are you able to truncate some of your stuff from put it into your sets because I wonder is it possible to still bring across a sense of your hour in a 10 minute spot uh, not really I think you can get a similar vibe a similar feel but um, I feel you have a lot more freedom in Edinburgh which means you can say a lot more you can do a lot more you can uh, even I dare say sort of be yourself and experiment more whereas in set in clubs and stuff you just have to be punchy 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 uh, you kind of feel like you shouldn't take risks because it's it's that, uh, quite a sad thing that if you, you take a risk and it goes wrong you might not get booked again and you need to earn a living so you can afford to do Edinburgh so um, yeah I think you have to be a bit safer would you say? Yeah yeah no I, I, I think there's there's you know there's a lot more pressure to kind of establish I am this like three characteristics about yourself within about 30 seconds and then just kind of play off those whereas you can build more of a more of a more of a narrative and have a bit more fun in a, in well, I guess the, the irony here is or the trouble with this is you have to take those risks in order to build an Edinburgh show so it's all kind of a bit contradictory there must be a way of striking a balance it's fucked uh, yeah, we've deconstructed comedy. Yeah, fucked. Should we shut the club and just, I don't know, do line dancing? <laughs> Can I just add to that? Uh, yeah, it's fucked, yeah, yeah. Okay, we've established that comedy is... I just thought I should, you know. Yeah, reiterate. <laughs> you just wanted to say a naughty word, didn't you, Tom? I know what you're like. No, fuck. What? <laughs> resisting the... Uh... Turning the air blue so far. Well, we've. I think we'll be opening the doors to the club soon. So, um, oi, <laughs> we're opening the doors soon. Um, so I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm. I'm happy tonight because I just. I'm going to sit in the lighting box, run the show, be the promoter, because uh, I performed the last two. I'm having the night off unless someone doesn't turn up. So I'm really looking forward to it. Hello, mate. So someone's I just turned up the to the club. I believe it's another act. Oh God, it's like a, like a like a panel show. Nick's here. Hello, Nick. Oh, I'm a part of the podcast. <laughs> 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 it's Nick's first podcast. Uh, Andy Barr just swaggers in her suit. Uh, Kit blunders in. Uh, we'll be opening up soon, so I'm just going to wrap this up, and then we'll be get ready to open the door. Um, pardon? Yeah. Uh, hang on. Before I forget, Kip. Oh, Ben's here. 
Oh, the whole club's here. Brilliant. We've got everyone except the blooming MC. That is which one we need first. Uh, so, <laughs> Ben, say hello to on the podcast. Oh, hey, hey, podcast people. Brilliant. Uh, I'm just going to be on the microphone in the background. Just so <laughs> okay. Yeah. Final thoughts before we just close the podcast. Commentary on the podcast. Uh, comedy, comedy has been comedy has been ruined by money, uh, and it should be it should be shut down in favour of uh, environmental and social revolution. Excellent. Well, like we've the podcast has degenerated into a dodgerist mess. I'm being heckled by my own acts. I hire them. They, they destroy me. This is a, a humiliating story. This is the last standard deliver ever. I'm giving up. Look what you've done. You've broken me. I hope you're happy. Um, uh, right, actually, we seriously better open the damn doors. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Tom Mayhew there, the, the uncontrollable Tom Mayhew. I mean, that has got to be the most shambolic end to any one of my podcasts. I, I'm, I'm quite traumatised. Um, so you, if you like Tom's interview style, you'll be pleased to know he's starting a podcast. It's called The 18%. It's a podcast exclusively about working class artists and creatives. Uh, so go to the 18 podcastpod bean.com and subscribe that's 18 is in the numbers it's going to be good i'm subscribed already speaking of which at the end of every episode i beg you guys to go and uh, write reviews and spread the word for the podcast and nearly all of you ignore me um i think you all just leave it for someone else to do but i've got to give a genuine heartfelt thank you to jp kirk 29 on podbean i hope i've said your username right i mean this is why you shouldn't uh um let dyslexics do podcasts uh but he wrote a very nice comment on podbean uh which will no doubt help me uh, get some more listeners and uh, so thanks very much keep listening mate uh, it is appreciated and, and you lot sitting there on, on your hands doing nothing um, go and write me a review please on iTunes or wherever you listen or if you can't write a review because you're listening on, on something that doesn't allow you to write reviews post it on your Facebook page share a link to the podcast honestly little things like that really help because we are in an age where the internet is no longer this wonderful uh, creative free for all where anyone with a good idea can get noticed we're now in an age where sadly the only way to get any real recognition on the internet is to pay money and pay basically by advertising the whole the internet now is just built around that uh, so, so if we can subvert that together I think that would be a wonderful thing now just before I go here's what's going on at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club our headliner for Thursday the 13th of December it's the last show of the year he's Luke Honoretti uh, absolutely incredible at I saw him in Bath not the Bath in Bath uh, and he's absolutely brilliant and the night is hosted by musical madman Ben Kavanagh he plays with a full size keyboard around his neck and uh, he does songs and he's wonderfully surreal basically a brilliantly unusual act you've got to go and see We've also got full support from Micah Hall, Fran Kistling and Nathan DeArchie Roberts. Uh, Line-up subject to change, of course. The November show totally sold out, so go book your tickets now. Facebook.com forward slash stand and deliver comedy night. Click on the big blue book now button and now here's a couple of highlights from my very own gig diary on the 4th of december i'm playing comedy by bow in london and then on the 5th of december i'm performing at hazabar's comedy club at the white heart in basingstoke my second time performing for that promoter and it must be like my 10th time performing in that venue in basingstoke going to be fun um and uh, then on the 18th of december i'm in the comedy tavern uh in the north london tavern in kilburn london uh, if you didn't get that that was in london uh more information and more gigs being added all the time at rodders.com r-h-o-d-d-e-r-s.com forward slash gigs uh, right that's another episode done thanks very much for listening i'll see you on the next podcast Bye.